Behavior is what you do. My turn, my turn, my turn. What is behavior? Behavior is something like, um, um, when you asked mom, can I eat dessert before dinner? And your mom's like, no, you can't. And then you just do it, that's not. But hugging is good. This is Behaviorally Speaking, a podcast featuring board-certified behavior analysts Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. On this episode, Angela and Kristen discuss the basics of behavior. Today, they will break down the definition of behavior, provide insight on creating a baseline, and leave you with helpful tips to implement at home. Behaviorally Speaking is brought to you by Rethink Benefits an employer-provided resource to support parents and caregivers of children with special needs. Learn more at RethinkBenefits.com. And now, here are your hosts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. All right, hello and welcome to our second episode of Behaviorally Speaking. I'm one of your hosts, Angela Nelson, board-certified behavior analyst and mother of two. And I'm Kristen Bondi, also a board-certified behavior analyst and mother of two. Hi, Angie. Hey, Kristen. All right. Hi, everyone. Angie and I are really excited for today's episode. So today we're going to be talking about the basics of behavior. And it's really what Angie and I have dedicated our careers to. So understanding why behavior occurs and, and really what to do about it. So I think today's topic is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners because it's a really common concern. So we hear all the time from parents saying, I'm not really sure how to respond when my child, I don't know, gets up from the dinner table six times (laughs) or (laughs) hits their sibling. So we definitely hear that a lot. And so um, we want to give you some suggestions to help you out with that. We definitely hear a lot of parents say things like, oh, I find myself yelling all the time at my child, or I feel like I've just lost all control, which I will say, being a parent of two toddlers in the home, I feel like I have lost all control most of the time. I don't know about you, Angie. (laughs) So depending on how you respond over time to some of those behaviors, it can really impact your relationship with your child. And then also, if you notice some of these things happening at home, you might start to see that they are popping up in other places as well. So maybe at school or at church, and it can really be a lot to manage. Yeah, that's right, Kristen. We also want to take you on a, a little journey to really help you break down behavior so that you can see that behavior from a different lens and you can kind of step back and and really analyze what's going on and make some more informed decisions about kind of the what to do about it. We know that making more proactive decisions and and kind of integrating that planning into addressing Mm -hmm. behaviors can really be effective more long term. All right, Angie, should we jump into the topic for today? Yeah, I think let's do it. I think maybe what we could do first, Kristen, is have a little bit of a disclaimer. Good idea. All right. So today we will be discussing more general, commonly used practices. But if you are seeing any severe behaviors, so things like self-injurious behavior with your child or aggressions where others might be at risk, you're going to want to get in-person consultation or intervention. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so 
as we dive into behavior, we're going to kind of break it up into almost like the life cycle of a behavior, what to do proactively, how to identify behaviors, uh, what sort of really kind of the, the process that one would take if you are wanting to address a behavior that you're seeing at home, really. So one of the first steps that we want to do is figure out and talk a little bit about what is behavior. We throw that term out there all the time. It's a really common term that we hear just in everyday language. And so what is behavior? It's really at its most simplest form, any sort of measurable or observable act of any living organism. So that's not just people. Uh, you can apply what we call the teddy bear test to it. So if a teddy bear can do it, then it's not behavior. So just sitting there as a teddy bear, just being <laughs> is not behavior. So yeah, behavior in its simplest form, measurable, observable act of any living organism. Now that we know what behavior is, let's talk a little bit about the why. And so we call that the function. And so the function is why the behavior is occurring and what makes that behavior continue. So I'll give an example. So maybe little Johnny looks over and he sees Alex is playing with an iPad and, and Johnny really wants that iPad. So he's gonna go over and he pinches Alex. Well, Alex hands over the iPad because he doesn't like to be pinched. And then so in this case, Johnny's going to continue pinching because the why for that behavior or the function is going to be access to the iPad. So we're going to talk about a little bit more about what those are, but that's just a good example of the function. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's so important, the, the why, because we don't want to just throw different strategies or kind of interventions out of behavior willy nilly, right? We really want to be mm -hmm, kind of right. focused. Yeah. So as we go through now, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about step one. We're going to go through a series of steps. So first thing that you want to do, let's say you have a behavior that you want to address at home. Let's say it's tantrums. Um, the first thing you want to do is identify what that behavior is and figure out the function like Kristen just mentioned. So identifying the behavior. What is that behavior? What is it called? And what does it look like? We want to make sure that what you feel a tantrum looks like or what a tantrum is, is congruent with what someone else thinks it is. So having almost like a mm -hmm. definition, what it looks like. And then step two, figuring out the function. The uh, easiest way to do that is to take a little, take some notes. We call them ABCs. So taking some ABC data. And when you hear the word data, don't don't be scared off. It's It's really nothing more <laughs> than just kind of figuring out some patterns. That's what we want to, we want to get at the why. Why is this behavior happening? So we take those ABC data and uh, ABC data and what that stands for is A, antecedent. That is what happens before a behavior. So what's kind of a trigger? Is it giving an instruction? Is it telling somebody no, they can't have something? Then B, what was the behavior that you saw or observed? And then see what happened afterwards. What was the consequence? And sometimes we think of the word consequence and we have this negative connotation, but really it just means what happened after the behavior. So once you have identified your behavior that you want to address, and remember earlier I mentioned 
planning and being proactive, it's really important. That's where you want to dedicate some time to this kind of beginning stage, right? So what's up behavior? What are those patterns, those common ABCs? Then you can kind of get down to the function, the why. Um, mm-hmm. The four main functions, as Kristen mentioned earlier, we'll just kind of quickly list them now and then we'll go into more detail in a minute. The first function is to avoid or escape something. So you might be doing a certain behavior or engaging in a certain behavior to avoid or escape something. Um, The next one is to get access to a tangible. In other words, to get something. You want a cookie, you want uh, a toy. Um, The third one is for attention. And then the fourth one is for more sensory reasons. So we'll, um, it, that's any sort of behavior you do that uh, feels good. And so we'll talk more about those in a little bit. Uh, before I uh, segue back over to, to Kristen, I just wanted to give some examples. Um, this has been observed in my home many times. So <laughs> if anybody has more than one child um, and maybe they're both tantruming at the same time, they what? could be tantruming. That never happens. <laughs> I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh. um, they, they could be uh, could be tantruming for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, believe it or not, you might want to address those behaviors differently. You might have one child who <clears throat> is tantruming to get out of homework, <laughs> and then you might have another one that's trying to get access to something or trying to get your attention. So, the mm-hmm. way that you would address those things are actually very different. So, yeah. That would be just to kind of recap, identify what that behavior is and try to figure out what the function is or the why before you start tackling um, the interventions. Perfect. Yeah, that's really important to figure out what the behavior is that we're looking at. So then the next step is going to be to, well, I guess I should say before we dive into the strategies, which is what we all probably you're all listening for. <laughs> the next step is going to be to take some more data. <laughs> so <laughs> hang in there. It, you're right? almost more there. Data. <laughs> so we need to we need to do a little bit more investigative work here. We need to gather a little bit more information just so we can see what we're up against in terms of this behavior that we have now recognized. And we call this baseline data. And so really what we're doing is we are analyzing how often this behavior is occurring or how long this behavior is occurring, depending on what that behavior is. So you can get a simple, again, like Angie mentioned before, don't complicate Don't complicate things, but you can get a dry erase board or a piece of paper and really just start to tally how many times it's happening or maybe how long that tantrum is occurring. And so when you start to pay a little bit more attention to these things, you might start to notice some triggers or precursors to that behavior. So the more you pay attention, you might start to notice some of those things, like for instance, Angie's homework example. So if your child's maybe hanging off of their seat a little bit before homework or during homework, you know, okay, maybe something's going to happen here. Maybe a meltdown is going to happen. So start to pay attention to some of those behaviors your child is doing before that big meltdown or or what other any other behavior that you're looking for. So I also hear often, quite often, I'll sh- I shall say, from parents that they say, you know, that's great, except for the fact that my child 
they don't, there are no triggers or precursors. They just go from zero to 60 and they just lose it. I'm sure you've heard that too, Angie. Oh yeah. (laughs) And so I always tell parents, you know, if that's happening, then let's start paying attention to some setting events. And so really what that is, is okay, let's give an example. So if your child is at school all day and then they come home and you say, okay, time for homework. And then they always have a tantrum or a meltdown or they run away from that task. Let's start thinking about some other things that might be happening there right before you give that request or demand. So if your child hasn't eaten since lunchtime, maybe they're hungry or maybe they just need a a few minutes to decompress after they get home from school before they can jump into homework. Or maybe just the thought of homework is really overwhelming and they need a schedule and they need to be able to write out their tasks in order there and there. And you're writing all those things down and maybe preparing them for homework a little more. So those are just some good examples of paying attention to the setting events and really just starting to analyze what's going on before we really come up with those strategies. Mm -hmm. That's so important. I think sometimes we Mm -hmm. look for those general things that the instruction that we gave or something that may have quote unquote triggered the behavior, but to look at those setting events that might be a little bit more covert, such a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can't always see it, but if you start to maybe, you might start to notice some patterns over time if you start to write Mm -hmm. these things down. Yeah, all right. And so step three, what we've all been waiting for <laughs> is our strategies. Yeah. <laughs> so I know um, I know we want to dive right into strategies and what can I do if my child is doing this behavior or that behavior. But one thing I do want to say before we do that is today we're really going to be focusing on proactive strategies and for really good reason. So oftentimes I, I feel that parents and, and as a parent myself, it's, it's easy to just dish out the consequences and say, oh, that's it. You know, no more TV today or give me that. That cell phone, but really you're not teaching anything in that moment. And so we really today, we really just want to talk about how to teach you to shift your focus. So either you can maybe prevent that behavior from occurring or we know, okay, you can't always prevent the behavior, but at least responding in a more productive way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you're really kind of hitting the nail on the head with what we like to call replacement behaviors, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, those uh, reactive strategies or taking things away, like you said, Kristen, those are not the teachable moments. It's right. it's really reinforcing the behaviors that we do want to see. And so teaching. So when we think about reducing behavior challenges, we also have to shift our thinking into, okay, well, what behaviors am I going to teach to replace those challenging behaviors so they still get their needs met and they don't need to resort to those challenging behaviors? I think that's kind of the theme of today's uh, podcast, really, you know, teaching your child what you can do next time. I've been reading a lot and just working a lot with children and families of kids that have uh, severe behavior challenges. Um, Kristen, you and I both worked with this population of families and um, we work with a lot of families that have children with ADHD in particular. And we know that a lot of these kids are really at risk of demoralization due to all the Mm -hmm. negative frequent feedback that they get at school or maybe at home. And so Again, we really invite you to shift your thinking away from the punitive strategies to, okay, well, what do we want my child to do instead? And how can I teach them those skills and reinforce those? 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. That's a really good point. Yeah. So let's actually go now into some examples, right? We we felt like when we set out to do this podcast, one of the things that would be most helpful, at least I know for myself, learning through examples can be really helpful and effective. So let's go into the four main functions. Um, in other words, once you figure out why your child's engaging in a behavior, then what kind of strategies might you want to put in place? So let's talk mm-hmm. about the first one, attention. So what is attention? <laughs> this is another one of those common uh, names or words that we hear just in everyday language. But what does it mean as it relates to behavior? So essentially, someone wants access to some sort of social interaction. We call it kind of socially mediated attention. Examples might be, screaming to get our kids attention and the parent responds Mm -hmm. that's a kind of a a common behavior chain and then what happens well we are sending a message that okay screaming works screaming is an effective way of getting attention Mm -hmm. i might try that again next time so what can we do about that well really a, a very common strategy is teach your child how to get attention appropriately and reinforce that. So a couple of things you can do. One might be uh, having a child, it might be a younger child or a child that's pre-verbal, tapping your shoulder or tapping you. And instead of tantruming or falling on the floor or pulling you, you can actually model this. You can show them how to tap, tap on someone else. And you can show them if you need me or you need my attention, you can just do this, tap, tap, tap. And you practice that, they practice it, you give them lots of praise, you make sure you give them immediate attention for it, and they see that as an effective way to get your attention. Um, We'll go Mm -hmm. into some talk later. I know, Kristen, you'll probably hit on this. Uh, What happens when you can't give them what they want at that time? So teaching those coping and tolerance (laughs) skills. Uh, (laughs) But right now, we're just, we're hitting the basics. Another common one is teaching your child to show you something. Maybe showing you their Mm -hmm. artwork that they did is always another good way. And then another example, my personal favorite, teaching your child to ask for attention. I know it might sound kind of funny, but it's actually a very effective strategy. I do it with my own kids. Uh, An example is when I'm working with my younger child, this happens Quite often, my older one um, is very apt to keep score. And so she's always coming around and saying, you're always giving Rosie more attention than me. Can I have attention? Mom, I need some attention right now. And that, it does a couple things. It's an effective way to get her needs met. And it also sends me a very clear message and it makes me stop and think Mm -hmm. for a minute and evaluate the situation. And then we can have a conversation about it and it's a pretty easy thing to to reinforce. Um, so I always try to reinforce that, hey, thanks for, for asking for that. Um, I wasn't aware of that. Or thanks for letting me know what would you like to do uh, together. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I That's so cute, too, that she she's kind of like, hey, mom, can I get a little of attention, please? <laughs> that's adorable. I didn't think it was going to um, work at first, yeah. but it actually does. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's uh, like my son yesterday, actually, I was working on something and he was like, are you done with your computer? Can you play with me now? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. I should put this away. <laughs> so, Aww. all right. Yeah. So the next one here, we're going to talk about 
tangibles. And so what that means is an access to tangibles. So basically somebody wants access to something. So whether it be a specific item or an activity. So we could go back to my pinching example from before. So little Johnny, he ran up and he took Alex's iPad and he really learned in that moment. All right. okay, I pinched Alex and I got that iPad. So of course, what's he going to do next time? He's going to run around and pinch somebody else to get that iPad. Mm -hmm. So he is learning that, oh, that is how I get it. So just like with access to attention, we want to shift that focus a little bit. We want to teach Johnny or your child. We want to teach them, all right, how can you get access to that item appropriately without pinching or yelling or, or whatever it might be that the child is doing in order to get access to it? And so a common strategy is going to be use your words. So ask for that item. If your child is preverbal, uh, not able to request for the item, similar to access the accessing attention, maybe they could walk up and tap the child on the shoulder or point to the iPad or really common is, is for a child to use pictures to request for that item. So really the idea is for your child to understand, I want this item. How can I appropriately ask for it so that I can get it? And so it's really, really important to teach. And I will say kind of piggybacking onto, off of that, uh, what happens when, and this is what Angie mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. so what happens when you say this is how you get it and your child asks for it appropriately and then you can't give it to them? So I will give a really fun example because this was my <laughs> night last night. <laughs> so oh. my son started, yeah, I know. My son started screaming at three in the morning and I'm like, what is going on? He's three. So I went mm-hmm. in and he was like, mommy, I need pirate's booty. And I was like, what? (laughs) Out of nowhere, (laughs) totally random. And I mean, he's having a bad dream or (laughs) I I don't even know. He just wanted a snack. He was like, I am so hungry. And I was like, I was like, honey, it is three in the morning. I am not going downstairs to give you pirate's booty right now. Like we don't get snacks in the middle of the night. Good try though. Good attempt. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was very good. And he's, I mean, he's, he held strong too. So I just said, you know. I understand you want some pirate's booty. However, it's the middle of the night. And when you get up in the morning after breakfast, you can have pirate's booty. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so eventually he he gave in and said, okay, and then went to sleep. But obviously in that moment, he has to cope. He has to understand, mm-hmm. oh, I can't, even though I just asked for it appropriately, and in that case, maybe not so appropriate, but um, <laughs> even though your child might ask for it appropriately, we have to teach them that, okay, you also have to be able to cope and wait. And so a couple strategies there that I like to tell families to use are using a timer. That's really helpful. So if your child wants, let's say a cookie, but it's it's they have to eat dinner first, maybe you could set a timer and say, okay, you can have a cookie in one hour let's set that Mm -hmm. timer and then they can have it another fun one is using a on like an on and off light or a switch or something or even a flashcard so your child knows okay right now the time is on I can request for that cookie or that video game or whatever it might be and if the card is flipped over to off then it's like oops I can't ask for it right now because I know it's unavailable Mm mm-hmm yeah Yeah. that's awesome yeah no it's so it's so important um to, to focus on on that point. And I think specifically with that, when we say things like, no, no, you can't have it right now. Mm-hmm. That's not really that helpful when you think about it, right? But if you are more clear, like, 
right now we're not going to have it because it's before dinner but you can have it after dinner it's very right. that's sending a clear message that hey mm-hmm. thanks for asking i'm honoring your your request <laughs> yeah, um, exactly it's not available yeah right now but this is when it is available so mm-hmm. that's a really great point Kristen. yeah so let's move on to our third function here which is escape and avoidance and so again another really common just term that we use in everyday life, escape, avoidance, what what do those mean? So in this case, when we're talking about it from a behavioral standpoint, we're thinking about some sort of undesirable situation uh, and someone wants to get away from it, right? They want to mm-hmm. escape it completely uh, or they want to get away from the task that they might currently be doing or avoid it where they might want to just get away from it before it even begins. I think that <laughs> yeah. uh, two examples, uh, those both can uh, apply to homework, right? So you're in the middle mm-hmm. of homework. Oh, I'm done with this i want to escape it or oh i'm out of here my mom said it's almost time for homework i'm i'm gonna hit the road (laughs) yeah totally or bedtime i think bedtime is another one that i think a lot of families can relate to avoiding bedtime (laughs) i think those are probably the top two yeah Mm -hmm, that we definitely work on with families Mm -hmm. so yeah so what do we do in the situations like this so a common one we do, and, and you'll find that these are also very common in the school system as well. Teachers, a lot of teachers do a great job of this. Uh, teaching your child to ask for a break. If uh, your child is in the upper grades and they've got a lot of homework, it's hard when you've been at a full day of school and then you have to do several subjects of homework. You can teach your child to ask for a break. Some of our little guys or some kids that might be uh, not speaking verbally can use a break card. And you can just create something on, mm-hmm. really on a post-it, something very simple. They can hand it to you. And then you would grant them that, hey, thanks for asking for a break. That's awesome. Right? So again, we're going for replacement behaviors. How can we allow them to escape or avoid something with uh, using more appropriate requesting, right? So asking for a break, also asking for help. That's a common one. Sometimes when families say to us, you know, he just has a meltdown during homework time. One of the first (laughs) things I wonder Mm -hmm. is, is he trying to escape it or is it really uh, a deficiency in skill, right? So we want to try to kind of tease that out. So asking for help can be really, really uh, efficient and and effective in terms of a strategy uh, that you can teach your child. Um, Another really common one is doing some task modification or reduction in tasks. Uh, We do this a lot in the school system, if a child is really struggling with maybe a worksheet that has a lot of math problems on it, it's okay, you know, if you really work hard at these and you complete these independently, then you won't have to do the last row or you'll fold the paper in mm-hmm. half. I know that's a common one, Kristen, that, you, um, that you've mentioned yeah, too. Yeah, that's you my favorite. <laughs> yeah, fold it yeah. in half and maybe save it for another time. And that's serving as a, hey, great job for maintaining, right? Um, Maintaining the Mm -hmm. the task. Um, Another really common one that I like to use for chores, a lot of times kids want to try to get out of doing chores. And so I will say something like, hey, if you do these two chores without being asked or you do them you know, independently, then you don't have, yeah, yes, without whining. (laughs) That's a big one. (laughs) And I think that transcends many age groups too. the whining. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of teenagers whine. Uh, Then you don't have to do the last chore or I will do the last chore for you. So just a couple creative Mm -hmm. ideas to help reduce that uh, escape or avoidance behavior. 
Yeah, definitely. Those are all really good. And it makes me think of one that you could use even for bedtime because bedtime is, as you know, Angie, is a, a big talk in my house. There's always <laughs> there's always something going on with bedtime all the so time. Hard. And so, yeah. And so something that I just thought of might be might be good ways to, if your child is really trying to escape or avoid that bedtime, maybe make a little list of what they have to do before bedtime. And maybe if they complete it by a certain amount of time, maybe they get five extra minutes to read a book or some special one-on-one time with you. So it just Mm -hmm. another proactive strategy there to really avoid that meltdown or that avoidance behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. All right, so let's dive in here to the fourth function. So sensory, so what does this mean? So really sensory maintained behaviors are those where a person's actions or their own movements really feel good to that individual. And so I will say that sensory behaviors are sometimes harder to manage. They're harder to decrease because when we if you think about what we've done so far, we're coming up with alternatives or replacements for those behaviors. And with sensory, sometimes it's tricky to come up with alternatives and replacements because those are their person's own actions feel good to them. So we'll go over a few examples and some ways that you can come up with some replacements or some something that's going to compete with that. So some sensory type behaviors would be things like nail biting or maybe chewing on your shirt or echolalia. For those of you who don't know, echolalia is basically the repetition of someone else's else's speech. So for instance, a good example would be if you said to your child, do you want a cookie? And then your child said, cookie instead of yes, then that would be repetition of that speech. Not so much really socially driven, not really answering the question, just repeating it. So we see this quite often in kids with autism spectrum disorder who might be scripting or repeating from movies or videos or songs, and they're doing it later in the day. So it's not really at the time and it's not really socially driven. They're not trying to have a conversation with you. They just like to talk about the movie at that time. And so we'll use that one as a good example. So thinking of some ways, okay, so we know talking is is kind of movie talking, we could call it, is getting in the way of some other things like social interactions or dinner time or church. And so thinking of some ways that we can maybe put that behavior on what we would call stimulus control. So let's think of something that we can use to to teach your child, yes, now is a good time to talk or right now I have to be quiet. And so one example would be using a, a little wristband or something. So you could put something on a little bracelet. And when your child sees that they have the band on, then they know, OK, I can I can talk about my movies right now. I'm, I'm allowed to. That's OK. And uh oh, I look down. I don't have my bracelet on. That means I, I cannot talk about my movies. It's not essentially on time, you could call it. So um, that's one example Another thing you could do would be teaching more functional speech. So if your child is repeating, uh, we'll, give, we'll go back to that cookie example. So if your child typically repeats that last word, you could go in and, and before your child repeats the last word, you could prompt your child to say yes. So really just teaching more functional speech, speech versus just repeating. 
We also have, yeah, lots of kids we'll, we will talk with or that I've worked with um, if they engage on, in nail biting or um, chewing on their shirt. That's a common one as well. And so sometimes they can get in the way of, of even just focusing. So there are lots of cool toys that they make now for kids that they can wear on their wrist or even little pencil toppers that they put on that kids can chew on. Just again, competing with the behavior we don't want to see continue and giving an alternative or a replacement. So so those are a few examples just to work on sensory type behaviors. But I do want to say that sometimes they can get in the way, uh, really interfere with learning or social interactions or really just your day to day. So with sensory type behaviors, if your child is engaging in those and it really seems to be interfering a lot, then you're going to want to get in-person consultation for those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is a this is a tricky one. Definitely a tricky Mm -hmm. group of behaviors. Okay, well, we're getting close to the end here. Going on to step four, we have uh, at this point kind of do a little recap. So we've identified the behavior and the function. We've taken a little bit of baseline data and kind of teased out what those precursors might be. And we've gone through a whole series of proactive strategies. Now, we want to touch on those reactive strategies. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about them. <laughs> we do want to highlight that you you don't want to pour too much attention into mm-hmm. the reactive strategies, right? So as Kristen and I said before, that's not where a lot of the learning is going to be happening. The learning is going to be right. happening in teaching those uh, replacement behaviors, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, there are going to be times certainly where you do need to determine a consequence, Uh, where a consequence might be guaranteed, like if there's hitting or punching, and be very clear about that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So again, with the theme of planning and being proactive, that's why we encourage you to kind of take a moment, step back and think about a behavior, maybe at nighttime when your child's asleep and think about, okay, well, how am I going to structure this? How am I going to address this behavior? So think ahead of time about what a consequence might be and for what type of behavior might be given that consequence. So what are a couple different reactive strategies? So a very common one, redirection. This is easier with younger kids. So you might be having a toddler who's having a tantrum about getting dressed, right? You might be able to pretty easily redirect them. So it's reactive, right? It's after the behavior has occurred. Mm -hmm. A common one is response cost. That is taking things away. And we tend to find, I don't know about you, Kristen, but certainly this tends to be a really common strategy that I hear a lot of parents Mm -hmm. say that they start out with. and. We need to caution you. Uh, this gets a little dangerous because what happens when there's nothing left, right? So oh, yeah, it I is hear important. That a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So be careful about that. Um, but certainly, taking away an iPad if the iPad wasn't used uh, the way that the rules were spec'd out, um, and again, that takes some proactivity, right? You have to mm-hmm. lay out what the rules are ahead of time. Otherwise, it's not really fair to say. Well, you ordered a new app. Um, I didn't like that, but maybe the child didn't know that that wasn't allowed. So lay out the rules. Maybe you're saying if you don't follow these rules, your iPad will be removed. Then, yeah, that might be a, a really appropriate reactive strategy. Um, a, another common one, a countdown or a warning, maybe a timeouts. I sometimes will use a count up. And so I'll say something like, Okay, you know, you need to 
Um, you need to listen to me. A lot of times my kids will get really rambunctious around bath time and they'll get a little crazy. <laughs> and so I'll start counting. And if I get to three, then they didn't earn their show for the night. And we don't do too much screen time, but certainly that's something that our kids really look forward to at the end of the day is to watch a little show. And so that, I think that's fine mm-hmm. for, for my yeah. family. And so I'll do a count up. Usually they'll, they'll kind of kick it into gear <laughs> and they'll yeah. calm down before we get there. Um, because they know once they get to three every single mm-hmm. time, I will not allow them to earn that show. So that's kind of a, a failure to earn uh, strategy that I that I like. And then, yeah, timeouts. Um, this sometimes is effective. You're taking the child away from the situation, allowing them to cool down, especially if they're fighting with a sibling or a, a playmate. Uh, and sometimes it's nice to give yourself a timeout oh, <laughs> as yeah. well so you can mm-hmm. cool down. Um, I think this is something that we that we don't really talk enough about as parents is that it's okay to give yourself a timeout. If you're getting stressed out and kind of amped up and you're yelling and things like that, it's probably not going to be too effective in the grand scheme of things. So taking a moment to collect yourself and and remember what strategies you put in place, try to stay positive and proactive. So giving yourself a timeout might be a, a good reactive strategy too. Yeah, that is so important because I I hear from parents all the time. It's like, oh, no, I just I dished out that consequence, but I didn't really mean to say you can't have your cell phone for three weeks. Now, what am I going to do? You know, and it's like, wait, I have to stick to that. So really, it's so important to when you start recognizing that you're getting upset or flustered or your child is really, you know, getting under your skin, for lack of better words, just take a moment and say, you know what? I am going to go cool down. I always tell families, just put a like a cool down corner in your house and then everyone uses it mom dad Mm -hmm. siblings aunts uncles everyone there uses that cool down spot everyone knows all right that's where i'm gonna go when i get upset and it's so important because if you do that as a parent you're also modeling that behavior for your child so then you're letting them know hey here's how you calm down so yeah it's really a win-win for all yeah yeah that's a really good point too Mm -hmm. a bonus in there yeah exactly All right, so we have reached our last step here, so step five. So in the beginning, I talked about doing that investigative work and figuring out, okay, what is this behavior that we are going to analyze? How often is it occurring? So we had to take that baseline data, but then what's nice at the end here is now we can take what we call, uh, well, data at the end, we take more data, so more of that. (laughs) But now what's nice about it is you can see okay, was that strategy effective? Was it working? Is Has there been a decrease in this behavior? I always like to point out that even if, let's say your child has, all right, seven tantrums a week, and now you're down to six, that's still better. Your child is still mm-hmm. trending in the right direction. And so that's really important to recognize even the smallest decrease there in those behaviors, or even if that tantrum is maybe three minutes shorter than the last one, it's really good to to pay attention to those things. And so the best way to do that is to take data when it's occurring. So again, keep it simple, get your dry erase board out or that piece of paper, and maybe just each day you're tallying how often it occurred or how long that tantrum lasted. And then you can start to notice those trends and hopefully they are decreasing And then I will say that as a a parent and and also as a 
behavior analyst, when, when I start to see things decreasing, that gives me more motivation to continue. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. this is working. I'm going to keep it going. And so really, you know, as a parent, you can say, oh, this is, I think we're going in the right direction here and you'll keep it up as well. So to recap that, just make sure to take data while you're in the thick of it. So at the very beginning, and then also take data as you, as you implement that strategy so you can really start to see if it's working. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's a good point, right? It's, um, you know, it could really just be a simple check mark on a on a post-it and mm-hmm. even yeah. seeing that minor change that we probably don't see if we're not keeping track of it. But when you actually mm-hmm. put it down on paper, you could see those small incremental changes and that can really impact your, whether you stick with it or not. Yep, exactly. So. Okay, well, so we are just about done. I think maybe what we'll do is do a quick recap of the, the steps in addressing behavior challenges. And uh, yeah, then we'll kind of end up with our Real Talk with Real Mom segment. How's that sound, Kristen? Perfect. Let's do it. All right. So once you have determined that you're ready to, to jump in and address a behavior challenge, and I will mention too, I think I failed to mention this at the beginning, behaviors could be good too, or behaviors that we want to see. In this case, Today, we're really focusing on those those behaviors that you want to reduce, right? So mm-hmm. we right. want to identify what that behavior is. What's the name? What does it look like? And so it's very clear to everybody else that is supporting your child. And then why is it happening? Is it because your child wants to get something? Do they want attention? Do Is it for sensory reasons? Or do they want to escape or avoid something? And kind of look for patterns. Over time, you can start to kind of get a sense of what that function is. And that will dictate uh, how you proceed. Definitely. Yes. And then after you do that, let's take some baseline. Let's do some investigative work. Let's see. All right. How often is this occurring? Really? What am I up against here? What's the duration of this behavior? Are there any precursors I could pay attention to? Or are there maybe some setting events I could pay attention to? So really just taking a lot of data in the beginning to really know what you're up against and setting yourself up for success before you start those proactive strategies. Absolutely. Yep. And so that leads into the next one. Step three is going to be create those proactive strategies. So think about ways that you can teach your child a more appropriate way to get what they want. What are they looking for? They're looking for your attention or access to a tangible or maybe to get away from something. We want to teach them. All right. Yes, you can do that. But here is how you can do it and teach your children more appropriate ways to get what they're looking for. Absolutely. So going into the next step, reactive strategies. So just like those proactive strategies, take a moment to think this through. Give a clear layout ahead of time to your child of what that reactive strategy or that consequence or what's going to happen after the behavior uh, so that they're very clear on that. If I think, Kristen, you gave the example a few minutes ago, if you take away someone, if you just say, fine, you lose your cell phone for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Are you able to stick with that if you just throw that out there randomly right. without thinking about it? If you're not, then there's that credibility piece we talked about in the last podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So it is really important if you are going to have some reactive strategies, think about it ahead of time and be very clear in laying it out with your child. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Really important. And then so our last one, step five, let's 
analyze the effectiveness. Let's see if these strategies we've put in place, let's see if they're working. So take some data at the end as well, or I guess during your during the strategies. Make sure you're tallying it up, seeing if your child, maybe it's decreasing over time, maybe the duration of that tantrum is decreasing. So just like Angie mentioned, you might not notice it right away, but if you look at it and say, well, you know what? Last week there was 10 and this week there's five. And so you might not notice it each day, but just analyzing it over time. And you, if you notice a downward trend, then then things are going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, good. So just like our previous podcast, we wanted to end up just talking, kind of breaking, breaking out of the more academic stuff and really just breaking down the mom's real mom <laughs> life stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I know stuff happens on a daily basis, um, but anything you want to share, Kristen, mm-hmm. anything that's happened in the last couple of days? Yeah. Well, aside from the pirate booty last night, which really threw me because I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, that is not a conversation I expected to have with my three-year-old <laughs> in the middle have of the night. Have you had it though? It's so good like, though. My kids it eat is, it all day It really yesterday. is so good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I I could wake up screaming for pirate booty too. Me I mean, too. it's it's Me the too. most delicious. For those of you who have not tried it, it is a really really good kind of like popcorn. So yeah. now we're gonna have we're several not people looking for up, pirate what booty. Is it's pirate just... booty. <laughs> it's a snack. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, aside from that, I think again, I I feel like my whole life is discussing bedtime. But so we, I have another really. It's a funny example of my son with bedtime. So. He's three, as I said. Actually, he's almost four. And so he sleeps in his big kid bed. And he has two blankies and a fishy now, which, by the way, that's new. But he has Mm. two blankies and a fishy that he carries around, a small blankie and a big blankie. And so I lay him down every night and I tell him, okay, what is the rule? And he says, stay in my bed. So he knows the rule. We we outline it. So I laid him down a few nights ago and I went downstairs, was doing something and he comes on down and I was like, hey, hey, buddy, what's up? And he was like, well, little blankie needs to tell you something. And I was like, okay, (laughs) what is it, little blankie? And so it was just something I don't, I can't even remember what it was. So I was like, okay, that's great. Go back to bed. Okay, mommy. So he goes back to bed. And two minutes later, he comes back downstairs. And I was like, Parker. (laughs) And he's like, big blankie needs to tell you something. (laughs) And I was like, okay, yes, big blankie. And so it took me two tries to really figure out what he was doing here, obviously avoiding bedtime, but or escaping bedtime, I should say, because he was already there. But so I followed him upstairs that time and I said, listen, I'm like, okay, so you and all of your belongings need to stay in your bed. So we have we had to create a new rule now. So it's not just him that has to stay in his bed, him and his blankies, because I know he was going to come down with fishy next. So I had to say (laughs) you and everything in this room, you have to stay in your bed. So I thought that was really funny and very clever of him. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You'll have to give us an update, too, on how Mm-hmm. how that strategy's been going. I will. I'm going to have to start, I think this weekend I'll have to start a, a little star chart with him like you did and you mentioned on your on our last podcast, but something yeah. for him to see like, okay, if I stay in my bed, then I get maybe donuts or something in the morning. Maybe not donuts, but Ooh. something, something fun. <laughs> pirate's booty. <laughs> yeah, pirate's booty. Yes, that's exactly, it's so good. That's what I'm going to do. Tie it back. Yeah. <laughs> Tie it back. All right. Aww. Oh my gosh. What Cute about you? Guy. 
Um, well, I'm, I'm feeling like um, we've got some themes emerging between the two of us. I know yours is sleep, the chronicles of sleep, <laughs> and mine is homework. Ah, yes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, but actually I, I've tried something new and so far we've been successful. Um, what I've been doing is kind of setting this time frame where my kids have this electronic game it's a like an electronic candy land game mm-hmm. and they love it and it's so arbitrary too you just click it and it spins it's just random but oh, they fun. just really get a kick out of it yeah it's really fun a lot of colors and stuff and so what i started doing is they, they've been asking me before dinner time if they can play it and i've been kind of wishy-washy on yes no uh, mm-hmm. i don't know it's kind of getting too close right and i'm realizing well i'm not being very clear so I kind of integrated this as a reinforcer for completing homework in a reasonable time period. So I'll say, look, Candyland is available from 4.30 to 5. And usually we'll start homework around four o'clock and so I talked to my child's teacher she's in first grade she said yeah we expect probably about a 30 minutes of homework a night so I said okay fine that that works out Mm -hmm. and so I tell my daughter I said okay Lily you've got uh 4.30 is when you can start playing Candyland and if you buckle down and you do your homework then you can have that full time period but if you're kind of dilly-dallying and you're getting up and complaining and stuff you are just cutting into that time Mm -hmm. and so that was very concrete and very clear for her she understood that kind of contingency like okay I complete my work I get it done I can have that maximum 30 minutes otherwise I'm really kind of cutting into my own Candyland time and if I don't get done until 450 then I've only got 10 minutes left so that's actually been so far pretty effective for us I love that uh, give you an update yeah you'll have to definitely update me on that one I'm gonna have to steal that one for sure so yeah. that's that's really good too. And it really helps build in some independence. So you know I'm mm-hmm. big on organizational skills. <laughs> and so oh, yes. it really, it really helps her understand it and time management and saying, okay, mm-hmm. I have this much time, I have to get this done. So I think it's it's really definitely teaching her that for the future as well. So mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, that's gonna do it for our second episode of Behaviorally Speaking. Join us next month for another hot topic. Positive reinforcement is your friend. So be sure to tune into that one. And until then, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you for tuning in to Behaviorally Speaking with Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. This podcast is brought to you by Rethink Benefits an employer-provided resource to support parents and caregivers of children with special needs. Don't forget to subscribe to Behaviorally Speaking on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, have a great day.